Hello and welcome to the Glamshuary Podcast, where we talk about the experiential outdoor hospitality industry. I'm your host, Bobby Marsden. We're very excited for you to be joining us and listening in on this episode where I had the pleasure of talking with Nabil Sawiras, owner-operator of Black Tree Resort located near Lake George, Colorado. Nabil is a Colorado native, he's a husband, he's a father of two, and he left a very lucrative financial career in New York City to make a trek across the country to open up his dream glamping resort. In this episode, we'll speak with Nabil about how he made that move possible, some of the tips and advice he can offer for would-be glampsite owners, how he overcame some obstacles along the way, his expansion plans, and how he manages the balance of work-life schedule that sometimes has him working 30 straight days a month. So without further ado, let's dive in. We hope you enjoy. Hey, Nabil. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Welcome to the Glamshire Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I uh, had a long history with with glamping in my life, uh, but just recently we've decided to to launch this blog and this podcast to kind of highlight glamping resorts and locations and and places that are also offering uh, on site experiences. And so we really loved what we saw and experienced at Black Tree, and so we're really excited to have the chance to talk with you today. Well, like I said, I'm I'm honored. Well, thank you for that. Um, I think the first question, you know, I would have for you is, uh, I read up a little bit and saw that you opened in, in 2019 in May. That's right. Um, what was uh, the planning stages like leading up to that? When did you first have the, the idea for a glamping resort and, uh, kind of walk us through the evolution of, of how you came to breaking ground? Sure. Well, to be honest, it was, it was probably a 10 year process from the time I had the vision and was sketching out designs for the tent and, you know, thinking about what I want it to be and even partaking in a lot of different glamping experiences and kind of realizing what I saw as shortfalls and thinking about how I would solve those things and, you know, um, what's really the ultimate experience. That probably started 10 years before, you know, 2019. Um, I was in a prior life, I was in um, personal finance, wealth management, and, um, Kind of decided I was done with that game, but, um, you know, I didn't want to walk away one day and not have anything going. So took a long time of planning and designing and then um, moved back to Colorado from New York City. I'm, I'm a Colorado native, but uh, did spend some time out in New York City. And I uh, was here about five years before I could find the perfect property that I wanted. You know, that's really kind of a big part of it. And um there's a lot of mountain land out there, but, you know, I was really looking for something special. And I think I found it. When you were doing your land search, uh, did you find that you had to tailor where you eventually landed based on the learnings that you, you found through the process of searching? Or were you able to find a piece of land that basically aligned with what your, your vision was? Well, I, a little bit of both, I guess. You know, I, I started my search for the land, not by looking at properties, but really looking at kind of some bigger picture things. So I wanted to make sure I could afford it. <laughs> so <laughs> some areas are more affordable than others. I didn't really want to compete with ski country. You know, Colorado's known for its great ski resorts and I'm, you know, I love them. I'm one of them, but um, that's not really what I'm competing with. So 
that kind of narrowed things down. And then I looked for certain counties that were more open to, you know, outdoor recreation and the development of that. Um, and that kind of narrowed things down. And then, you know, I have a sweet spot for this area. I was born about 20 miles from here in the mountains of Colorado. So um, that narrowed it down even further. So with all that said, um, you know, it, it kind of gave me an area to start looking at specific properties, but I probably looked at, no kidding, 30 or 40 properties over the course of three years um, before I pulled the trigger. Yeah, that, that aligns with a lot of stories that I've heard from, from other Glampsite owners. And even with you moving across the country from New York, you know, there's even a little bit more maybe at stake or at risk. Uh, what was that like as a discussion with your with your wife to, to decide to leave the East Coast, go to the mountains and open this new business? Well, yeah, you know, there was a couple of discussions moving to Colorado, <laughs> you know, quitting my job. Um, you know, I had a great, well-paying job. I was doing really well in New York. But um, I think she knew deep down what I wanted to do. And, you know, there wasn't any surprises there. Like I said, this was a 10 year process. And, um, you know, while it's to be honest, not her passion, she supported me, you know, more than anything and has sacrificed a lot for, for me to make this dream happen. Um, so, you know, it's not easy and I definitely appreciate everything she's done for, for me to be able to do this. And there's a lot of considerations go into it. You know, you kind of have to, um, at some point you have to jump ship and, and just go all in and that's, that's scary. But if, if you can't get over that, um, the only other way to do it is kind of halfway. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle is just not committing. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's perseverance. You know, there's going to always be obstacles and it's your, about your passion. I think that would carry you through. Um, that would lead me to another question. Uh, you know, as you were, I'm assuming we were kind of thinking about, okay, I'm not really happy. What, what, what I'm doing now, I'd like to try something different was glamping just number one at the top of your list. Did you have other ideas? Like how did you end up landing on, on a glamp site glamping resort? Yeah. Well, I, to be honest, I knew I wanted to work for myself. That was kind of, I think my first motivation um, you know, regardless of how much money you're making, um, you know, working for big corporations, um, you kind of feel, you know, disposable at some points and vulnerable. And you think, you know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, what's, what's left. Um, and, you know, aside from a bank account. So that I think was my first motivation. Was, then it was, well, okay, what do you want to do? <laughs> and, you know, like every, you know, entrepreneur says, or, you know, you shark tank or whatever you want to, you know, talk about it's, you know, find a need, solve a need and, you know, that you're passionate about. And I really kind of stumbled on it, to be honest. I love, I'm from Colorado. I love camping. I love the outdoors. Um, my wife's from New Jersey. So bringing her out here and exposing her to that, she was a great sport and loved it, but, you know, doesn't want to sleep on a rock, doesn't want to eat cup of soup all night. And, you know, <laughs> Um, and neither do I, to be honest. And, you know, now we have kids and, you know, taking them out, it's, it's a lot of work and a lot of gear that I've got. And, you know, I've got everything we could go camping, but I just realized we weren't that much. And my friends weren't going camping and people are talking about their kids aren't playing outside anymore. And, you know, you see kids on the phone all day. And so 
that's the need that I discovered is, you know, people need to get outside. People need to put their devices down and just hang out with each other. And it's really hard to do that at home or even on vacation, to be honest, because everything's so connected. Um, so how do I solve that need of giving people what I think they really need in their lives and their families? Um, and how do that, how do I intersect that with what I'm passionate about? And glamping kind of, you know, popped up. So, well, that could be really cool. I could give people the experience of what I love about camping and, and being outdoors at midnight, um, but make it accessible to them. That all sounds great. And I think uh, you're absolutely right. You know, camping in theory sounds great. And then when you have to set the tent up and <laughs> and then once you get the tent set up and you have the campfire going and then you go to sleep, wake up the next day, it's like, okay, what do we do now? What have you done also to elevate the experiential side so you know when families are there for instance they don't run out of things to do on the property but they have choices to make to keep them occupied yeah absolutely you know um we get some guests that are weekend warrior types who just want to come out for one or two nights and, and just stay on property and relax there's 15 tents spread across 80 acres surrounded by millions of acres of national forest so you can really just explore right from your tent but we do get a lot of families that are coming from out of state or even in state that are coming for four or five, six days. And, you know, they really want to have that real Colorado experience and, and all the memories that go along with it. So what we've done is kind of curated a list of the best providers of all these, you know, kind of quintessential activities that you'd want to do on a Colorado summer trip. So horseback riding, uh, ATV rentals. Um, whitewater rafting, zip lines. There's a reservoir down the road. And we kind of, you know, partner up with the marina down there and get you kayaks and boat rentals and things like that. So um, we also spend a lot of time with guests beforehand. People will call up and ask for some information that's on our website and we provide to you once you make a reservation. But how do you do all that? So, you know, you want to go horseback riding and fishing. Well, you know, you do the fishing in the morning. Maybe you can do it in the afternoon or might not want to do both in the same day for these or that reasons. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, value that we can add to your experience just from our local knowledge about how far away things are and what time of day is usually best for this or that. So we really try to help people, although we don't provide all those activities, um, we really try to provide, you know, the, the package of, you know, putting it all together and giving yourself the experience that you're really looking for. A lot of people come with this romantic vision in the back of their mind, and we want to make that a reality for them. That's awesome. And I think that is such a cool thing when not only is, is you know, the, the comforts of the bedding and the campfire and everything else is taken care of, but also there's choices for people to make. So it kind of becomes close to an all-inclusive in some ways, but obviously much more tied to nature. Absolutely. I mean, and, and that's just it. We want you to just experience, you know, all the good parts about these things and none of the hassle, right? None of the setup, none of the cleaning, none of the, you know, I don't know where to go. I don't know who to book with. You know, um, if you wanted to go whitewater rafting in Colorado, there's, you know, hundreds of options, but we've kind of found the best. And we know if you're taking a family, take this route. If you want to go a little extreme, take that route, you know, um, so people get what it is they're looking for and it's not too wild or too tame, um, you know, and everybody can enjoy it. And we get a lot of multi-general, multi-generational families and groups, and we want the kids to be able to play with, you know, grandma and grandpa and not have anybody be excluded. And, you know, that's a big part of it. When you're trying to bring people together, you don't want to 
force them to do things that separate them, right? And then you mentioned, you know, the food, which we should certainly talk about, because I will say, you know, I love cooking at a campfire. I love prepping food. It's, it's something you look forward to cooking in nature. Absolutely. I also love having someone drive up in a golf cart and give me a, a five-star meal. That's what we're going for. You know, I, I do get that. I, you know, I love that and um, kind of that, that frying pan on the coals and stuff, but it's just so much work. And it's kind of one of those things like the idea of it is a lot better than the reality of it. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we just realized that, um, you know, if you can wake up in the morning, <clears throat> unzip your tent, there's hot coffee waiting for you and you're seeing the sunrise and there's a couple deer that walk up. That experience is a lot more memorable than, you know, waking up ice cold, lighting up a fire and get making your own coffee. <laughs> um, so it's it's the food I'd like to think is kind of one of our best kept secrets. You know, you, you, you see these beautiful tents, you, they're secluded, you get it, you're camping, but nobody expects to get the, the, the quality of food that, that we deliver. And I kind of like that. We under promise a little bit and over deliver and everybody walks away with a wow. And um, we're always kind of refining our recipes and, and myself and my sous chef, we're always going through, hey, you know, we could tweak this, that. <laughs> perfect. What did we do? And it's, you know, again, it's a passion. It's not something that we, we have to do for any other reason than we wanted, we want it to be the best, you know, and if we can do all these separate things, you know, the best tent, the best bathroom, the best food, the best activities, we're going to be the best glamping resort. And, you know, let's just do each one thing separately. So the food's something we, I really take pride in. And I think we all do here. Um, and it just adds so much to the experience, not just being fed, but really enjoying your meal and not having to clean up anything afterwards. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's funny, a lot of our guests are people that have never been camping before and would, have, would never go camping if it wasn't for something like this. And that gives me a thrill, you know, being able to get them exposed to something they never would have before. That, that's, that gives me a kick. Absolutely. And, you know, you have built these tents, designed the tents, built the furniture, cooked the food. <laughs> like you're, you're all over the place. Uh, this is kind of a tangent question, but I think an important one, especially for people out there that are thinking maybe I want to try this. Uh, what's your work-life balance like? How, how have you kind of worked through that? Because you have the wife, you have kids. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's that like for you? It's, it's tough, and especially starting out when you're, you know, really doing everything yourself and, and you kind of have to um, just for economy and for quality control. Um, and then you have to kind of pass the reins a little bit. But, you know, I tell people my my work life balance doesn't come on a daily basis. It's more on an annual basis. Um, you know, I work 200 days straight all season, 18 hours a day. And um, it's not easy, um, but, you know, my wife's able to come up on the weekends. The kids come up for a couple weeks at a time during the summer and, you know, we're able to, to make it work. And then in the off season, I'm really able to kind of spend a lot of time with the, with the family, take care of, um, you know, helping out my wife at home and all the things I'm not able to do during the summer. Um, so, you know, I kind of find that balance on a, on a larger scale and, you know, that might not work for, for everybody. Um, but to be honest, a, a nine to five, um, 300 days a year didn't really work for me um, after, you know, 20 some years. So um, yeah. now is this sustainable for the rest of my life? 
No, but, um, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way, to be honest. And, you know, as the years kind of go by and we get more seasons under our belt, I'm able to pass the reins on certain things and, and you know, focus on um, more of the business side and, and kind of growing the business and, and let some other folks help me operate it. Very well put. And uh, that's a great segue into growth and expansion. I, I did read the article uh, published where you've you've opened up a lodge and, and have expanded the acreage that you have. Yeah. Um, talk, talk a little bit about that. And does that open it up then to, to all four seasons or are you still going to take a, a season off? It does. So, we, you know, we're open year round now. We have three houses actually um, that are available um, and those are available year round um, for, you know, your typical vacation rental uh, experience. So, yeah, we're able to offer horseback riding across the street there. Um, you get it's 350 acres, all private land surrounded by Pike National Forest, with great views of Pike's Peak. It's, it's a really kind of awesome horseback riding experience. And, you know, down the road, we'll hope to build some more tents out there. And we've got another 200 acre lot that's completely surrounded by National Forest that we're going to do, you know, zip lines and kind of adventure land, um, you know, down the road, one thing at a time. But <laughs> the opportunities are really endless. So it's it's while it's very daunting, it's it's exciting. And, um, you know, the, the sky's the limit, which is an awesome feeling to have. But, you know, a lot of pressure, too, at the same time. But um, again, wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, and I have to imagine, and you, you have touched on this a few times, uh, zoning, permitting, working with the county, uh, making sure you're doing things up to code, et cetera. I mean, would you say that is probably one of the bigger challenges that uh, you've had to, to face as you've went through development and just tried to expand and bring your ideas uh, into reality? It is. Uh, and, you know, I think there's it's one of the big misconceptions because I get a lot of folks who call me up and ask for advice, which I'm happy to give. Um there's, I think a lot of people think if you buy a big piece of land in the middle of nowhere, you can do whatever you want with it. And, <laughs> uh, and you can't, <laughs> and, um, and you, you know, there's really, there's only one forest service out here and I don't, you know, I, I need to be in their good graces for the rest of my life. And there's, there's only one County office. And, you know, once you start cutting corners and doing things the fast way, you, you know, you get a reputation for, for being that guy and everything becomes impossible. So, you know, from the beginning, you know, just let's take our time, do it the right way. And we're all going to sleep great. You know, we're not, I'm not worried about anything because we've done everything the right way. Um, it's not easy. And a lot of people tell you, you can cut this corner, cut that corner. And, you know, um, maybe you can, maybe you'll get away with it, but you're always going to be worried about it. And, um, you know, it's just going to rear its head down, you know, in the worst, possible time. You never know when. So um, it is a big obstacle, but um, you need to be patient. None of these things move quickly and you just need to follow the process. Um, you know, there um, when you're dealing in small town, you know, small counties and stuff, there's a, there's a different way of getting things done. Um, and like <laughs> I said, I lived in New York City for 15 years. So um, you have to be adept at, you know, getting things done in maybe a different way or at a different yeah. pace, but realize that you're in it for the long run. And this isn't, you know, now if you would have talked to me in 2019 when I was trying to open the doors and we're still dealing with this stuff, you know, it was driving me crazy, mm -hmm. but 
then I'm done. You know, I don't have to deal with that again until we buy another property across the street <laughs> square one. But again, that's, it's a blessing. Um, but it is a big challenge and it is something that, you know, a lot of people may not think of and may not take the time to really do the reading, you know, understand what are the regulations in that county? What are the regulations on the type of land that you are looking to purchase? Um, what is the process for changing those um, those uses? Um, you know, there are certain land uses um, that are permitted based on your zoning. Mm -hmm. And what's the whole process behind that? And, you know, before you buy something, you know, you might not get a solid answer. So I had to buy the property and then go in front of the county. But I did a lot of my homework in advance to realize what are the things that are going to be considered in that process and what would be my arguments against or around those, you know, things. And I had to basically sell it to myself that, yeah, I think I can get this process done. It's going to take X amount of time, double whatever you think it's going to take. If you think it's going to take <laughs> six months, give yourself a year. Um, yeah. Because you can't really do anything until all those check boxes are marked off and everything's good. Then you can start. And, you know, you just can't put the cart in front of the horse. Yeah, that's it's entrepreneurial spirit and faith and believing in your idea. And then, you know, pivoting if something doesn't happen exactly the way you want. Absolutely. But, you know, do your homework. Don't don't jump in, you know, foolheartedly. Absolutely. It's, it's great advice. And I think the other side, a lot of people mention, I, I certainly can understand it, is financing. <laughs> now, you come from a finance background, so you, you may have a better understanding than most. But uh, have you realized as you kind of move through, especially growth and expansion, like how loans are working, how banks are responding to a glamping business, and being that it's new and maybe misunderstood? Yeah. You know, and it's it's a little bit of the same story with just about any, um, you know, startup and basically banks aren't going to talk to you. <laughs> um, you really have to kind of <laughs> prove yourself to some degree. So now that we've got a couple of years in and, you know, we're able to show revenue and profit and and what our costs actually are and what maintenance actually looks like and not just a bunch of projections. You know, now banks might be willing to talk to me, but at the beginning, you really have to figure out that financing. Um, you know, I had to borrow every penny I could personally and got some personal investors and put every penny I had into it. Um, so at the beginning, you know, I wasn't able to get any bank loans, to be quite honest. Um, bought the property with a personal mortgage and, you know, and luckily, I had some understanding of finance, and so I think that did help. Um, just being able to piece all these different things together, there was no one solution. Um, you know, it's it's you make it work, and and you make every penny stretch as far as you can. Um, but that's that's definitely a big trick. Now, I think one of the things I had going for me was it's a pretty cool idea, and I'm really passionate about it. And so when I went to, um, you know, investors, um, I wasn't, I didn't have to sell it. You know, it was the first time I wasn't selling an investment. You know, it was just, here's what I'm doing and people want it on board. Um, and so, you know, I think if you really have something unique to offer and you really have your heart behind it, I think that comes through. It's, it's not about 
how sharp your PowerPoint presentation is. Um, although you do have to know your numbers and have your stuff together, people really are looking for that unique idea and somebody who is willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And and you'll find support. I re- I believe that. But um, you know, that's that's easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's some people out there that would that would echo that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, uh, so that you mentioned, you know, there there are other glamping outfits out there. Uh, Colorado has a bunch. Um, have how would you say you know your property, Black Tree Resort, uh, is different from from some of the other glamping uh, options out there? Yeah, well, and that's really something we try to focus on is differentiating ourselves. And um, I think the food is one of the biggest things. Um, I don't know of anybody who offers. Um, all three meals delivered to you, custom, you know, um, some places who have food, it's, you know, more of a buffet kind of group dining experience, not the best quality. Maybe it's just a breakfast only type thing, um, which kind of leaves you high and dry for dinner and lunch, which I didn't quite yeah. understand. But um, so I think that's one of the biggest things. And again, the quality and the, you know, the service of it, it's not just being fed. Um but the privacy, I think, is also another big factor. And one of the things that I never found to be adequate at any of the places that we went, um, tents were packed, you know, close together. Most of the, I never found a place that gave you your own private bathroom. And, and so that was a big must do for us. So each tent gets its, you know, you have your own toilet, your own shower, your own sink with a locked door, um, just like you do at home. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not a locker room where you have to wear shoes in the shower. And I remember <laughs> taking my boys one place and telling them, we just took a shower. Don't touch anything in this room, you know, <laughs> and uh, we could do better. So between the food, the bathrooms, um, you get your own golf cart to get around the property, which people get it. It always I chuckle because people will drive two and a half, three hours to get here. And then joy riding the golf cart, <laughs> you know, when, <laughs> when that's the first thing they do. Um, kids get a kick out of it and, you know, it's yeah. just fun. And it takes all the cars away from the tents. There's no, you know, headlights or, you know, car alarms going off in the middle of the night. Um, mm-hmm. And it just feels a lot safer and a lot more like you're camping. But if you need to get down to the lobby here, you're here in, you know, 45 seconds. Um between all of that, the privacy, the food, the bathrooms, the golf cart, you know, those are all things that you just don't find anywhere, to be quite honest. And it's it's funny, we're charging, you know, we're pretty comparable in price, but we just offer so much more. And and mm-hmm. we hear that time and again from our guests. So um, it's really worth it. And And when people walk away, I mean, I've had moms in the lobby here in tears, giving me a hug, saying, this is the first time my daughter's talked to me and stuff. That... That's just price. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That makes it all worth it. It does. So you got your money. We've got the perimeter. We've got the zoning. You built the tents. You figured out you want to serve food. You've kind of figured out a formula that you feel would be successful. Now you have to get the word out. How do you approach that? How have you done that? Uh, especially considering that you do have uh, other glamping options nearby. Uh, how do you, try and separate yourself? What, what kinds of avenues and uh, platforms do you use to try and get the word out about Black Tree? Absolutely. Well, you know, this there, this type of business, just by nature, there's, there's no traffic. There's no walk-up traffic. There's no foot traffic <laughs> or even really much motorized traffic that you're trying to say, hey, 
pull over, come on in and go glamping. It's that's not that type of offering. So you got to realize that your storefront is really online. And mm -hmm. and that being said, your website is what people are going to base kind of their, you know, it's the, the initial reaction. And, um, and it gives them a sense of what they're going to experience when they get here. So, um, you know, I did all the photography and, and I mean, I was waking up at, you know, two o'clock in the morning to catch sunrise right over a bagel and, <laughs> um, you know, just really going overboard because we knew that that was the first thing that people were going to see if they heard about us. They're going to go to our website and what they see needs to make them want more and to see mm -hmm. more and to do that. I want to do that. Mm -hmm. And so um, we really spent a lot of time on the photography and just the whole look and feel of the website um, to be up to par to the experience. Um, and so, I, you know, my opinion, it feels a little luxurious. It feels yeah. comfortable and warm and not pretentious, but high end and sharp and clean. Those are all the things I want the camp to be. So those are all the things I want my website to be. Um, and, you know, I had a lot of help, you know, you kind of said earlier, you kind of, I'm the cook, I'm the, you know, architect, <laughs> I'm the engineer, all that stuff. But I also lean on a lot of people and I know what I'm not good at, and you know, um, getting people to help with design and, and, um, just layout and, you know, um, while I had a heavy hand in everything, um, you know, I really let people do what they do best and, and kind of put my two cents in, but, you know, try to step back a little bit and let people help you. Um, but you need to have the, the vision. You're, you're the boss. And so you need to give them some direction as to how they can help you. You can't just ask someone to help. You really need to articulate how they can help and what you need, um, from them. And so, Building the website, getting that, uh, that was kind of a big deal um, because I knew, again, that's where people were going to see us. And it's a very visual offering. Um, what we mm -hmm. have, you know, there's just great pictures, great views. It's, you know, um, which kind of leads me to the second part, which is kind of the social media and, and um, search. Those are, our, those are our two big marketing efforts. Um, most people find us on search. But then they go to social media to kind of verify us and and mm -hmm. get some more context as to, OK, here's this website. I get it. Here's the, you know, they got food and tents. But then they go on social media and see all these pictures that guest posts and, um, you know, just see the look on other guests face. And that's more than any review or any explanation that I could give as to why you should come here is seeing why other people came here. Um, so we try to amplify that as much as we can, um, on social media and try to get our search, you know, as, as visible as possible. So if somebody looks for glamping in Colorado, there's no way they don't see us. That's my goal. Um, we got a lot of lot, long ways to go on that, to be quite honest. Um, we're, you know, we're still working on it, but that's, that's a big effort is to, to make yourself visible get your billboard up as, as high as you can for as many people to see. And, and I'm not talking about an actual billboard, but, um, and, um, smoke, well, smoke signals. Exactly. Exactly. Out here, that's what we use. Um, but, um, then word of mouth just becomes kind of the engine mm -hmm. and then all these things are there to back it up. So, um, you know, we've had 
I don't know, maybe 20% of our guests this year were repeat guests. And this was our fourth season. So they've been here in the last three years and they're coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of make sure that my whole team is aware of that. You know, we mm-hmm. really want to go above and beyond. It's not just about doing our job or doing the certain steps or requirements. It's whatever it takes to really get their jaw to drop. And then we've got it, you know, then we've nailed it. And it could be different for anybody. Um, but when you, you know, you focus on that and really the quality of your product, word of mouth kind of takes care of a lot of it. It makes sense. And I think word of mouth, like you said, especially with a new industry like glamping, because, you know, I, I do get a lot of questions that are really, what is glamping? Yeah. And so you're, right off the bat, you're trying to explain something that, that really has only been a word since 2005, according to the dictionary. So. <laughs> Which sounds about right. <laughs> I mean, um, and even then, you know, I, I think people are redefining it. I'd like to think that we're trying to redefine what exactly it is and what what it could be, you know, and, and just knowing that there's different levels of glamping. It's not just one experience. Yeah. You know, there's there's partner platforms, obviously, uh, Airbnb, Verbo, uh, TripAdvisor, lots of Expedia places that do focus on vacation rentals. Uh, but with glamping being such a new category uh, and maybe not even something that's their primary focus, what's been your experience like with with have you partnered with any of them? Uh, good, bad. What are your thoughts? Yeah, we did initially um, with just about everybody. Hotels.com, Expedia, you know, Airbnb and everything. And what I realized was, you know, they weren't really driving any traffic to us. Um, the only times where people were going through those channels was when we were fully booked and mm-hmm. they were trying to do an end around, so to speak, you know, and, and book through some, some other engine, but they weren't really bringing anything to the door. And, um, you know, you're giving up some of, some of the control over your inventory. And if they do book anything, you're giving up, you know, a commission on, on, on their end. Um, mm-hmm. which I wouldn't mind, to be honest, if they were driving traffic to us. But glamping is such a unique thing. You're not going on Expedia to find a glamping yeah. you know, experience. Um, most people are going on, on a search engine on Google and typing in glamping and seeing what comes up and going from there. Um, so we kind of backed off from that. Um, we had a couple issues where, you know, it was creating overbooking and, and double booking and and it just wasn't driving enough traffic and we're paying a commission mm-hmm. and why are we dealing with these headaches? Um, we turned them, turned them off for the most part. Um, you can find us on Expedia, but you're going to see that it says go, you know, contact the company for, uh, to make a reservation. So aside from all the work, I mean, soup the nuts, you're doing it all. You, you said you'd take some time off. Uh, what do you like to do? when you're when you're not running a glamping business working yeah well so we we closed up um october what was it 16th and uh i we took off to mexico wife and kids went to puerto vallarta for 10 days and and just relaxed and you know got some sun and waves and you know had a great time um being served by someone else, eating someone else's cooking. So gotta be good to be on the other side of things for a little bit. But um, it's funny, I can't, I literally, you know, can't take my cap off and it, just seeing a resort and how it's run through the eyes of a resort owner now, it's just totally, you know, it's, it's a funny perspective to have. Um, but I'm always on the lookout for new ideas and things like that. So um, 
So that was fun. And, um, you know, in the wintertime, I, you know, try to help the boys out as much as I can with school. And, um, you know, we usually go somewhere for the holidays to uh, my family's all over the place, Florida, California, Ohio. So, um, you know, we try to do something uh, for the holidays and um, I do love to go skiing. So um, the past couple of years, it's been tough. So hopefully I'll get a couple of days in this year. Um, and then before you know it, spring rolls around and, you know, it's time to dust, you know, dust everything off and get the ball rolling. So, <laughs> Back at it again. Back at it again. Well, I uh, have a, a, a set of questions that, that I would love to incorporate if you're open to it. It, it was uh, they were created by a guy named Bernard Pivot. Uh, but it was made popular on a, a show called Inside the Actor Studio, which oh, was yeah. hosted by a gentleman named James Lipton. And he used to go through a series of questions uh, that he would finish his interviews with, uh, which I always found enlightening. And I yeah. told myself, if I ever do an interview, I'll include it. And since this is the first one and I finally have an opportunity, here we go. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. What is your favorite word? Favorite word. Well, to be honest, shit. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> what is your least what is your least favorite word? My least favorite word. Uh wait. As in delay. As in W A I T. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Um Creating something that wasn't there before. What turns you off? Not being productive. I think I know the answer to this one, but what is your favorite curse word? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What sound or noise do you love? Uh, my boys laughing. What sound or noise do you hate? My boy's crying. There you go. You've, you're on a second career now, uh, but what profession other than your own or your previous would you like to attempt? You know, it's funny. If you would ask me that when I was in finance, I would have had all kinds of ideas. I haven't thought of that. And I really, you know, this is it. Um, I jokingly tell people I'm retired. This is just a hobby. Uh, that's definitely a joke, <laughs> but, uh, but I really feel that like, this is it. Um, you know, and it's, it's not like I just do one thing. So this job will become all kinds of different things for me, but, um, never even thought of it. It's a good answer. I like it. What profession would you never like to attempt? Going back to finance. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, no, I, I can't be so harsh on that, but, uh, what would I never like to do? I think the military would be very difficult for me. Hmm. The final question, and I'll use the word heaven, but kind of imagine just the, the next phase. Yeah. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive? Hmm. That's a good one. Uh, 
Probably I told you so. <laughs> there you go. I think that's a great place to end. Awesome. Nabil, I, I really thank you for your time. I think you're doing a, a wonderful job there. Um, so I think you're doing awesome. Well, congratulations. I hope we lived up to that expectation and it, it's really an honor. You certainly have. Well, listen, we'll be in touch. Thank you for your time. Thank you again. It's been great being here and uh, part of something. Hopefully it's uh, on to bigger and better things. Hey, growth and expansion, right? That's it. That's it. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye, Bill. Thanks again for joining us on this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as I had having it. And I'd also like to thank Nabil for his time. He's such a wealth of knowledge and a wonderful human being, and he runs a fantastic resort at Black Tree. If you do get the chance to visit, I highly recommend it. And if you would like to book, you can do that right on his website, which is at www.blacktreeresort.com. That's www.blacktreeresort.com. Thanks again for joining us on this episode. We have many other great episodes coming up down the way. If you go to www.glampshuary.com, you can subscribe and we'll see you on the next one. Until then, safe travels. Mm-hmm.